Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. Welcome back to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast. So I have another Bible study prepared for you. I hope these have been a blessing and a help to you. I hope you'll share them with everybody that you think would bless and help, and uh, we'll try to keep this going. Now, today, we're going to be doing a study, a, a biographical sketch on Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah. Now, we're, we're still in this time period where uh, uh, Babylon came in and took Judah. Judah went in 70 years into captivity in Babylon. Then Persia, Cyrus, king of Persia, took Babylon and sent Judah back to, to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And upon doing so, someone had to be in charge. And we're going to talk about that someone today. That would be Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah. Now, Cyrus makes this proclamation in accord with Scripture. God, God said, God prophesied hundreds of years before Cyrus came along. I, I am going to use Cyrus, my servant, to send Judah back to Jerusalem. And that's exactly what happened. Now, we're going to pick the narrative up so that we can, we can build a narrative. We're going to pick it up in 2 Chronicles 36, and we'll read verses 11 through 20. I know it's a lot of Bible reading, but you can handle it. I promise. So 2 Chronicles 36, verses 11 through 20. Zedekiah was one and 20 years old when he began to reign and reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord his God and humbled not himself before Jeremiah the prophet, speaking from the mouth of the Lord. And he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear by God. But he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart from turning unto the Lord God of Israel. Moreover, all the, all of, all the chief of the priests and the people transgressed very much after all the abominations of the heathen, and polluted the house of the Lord, which he had hallowed in Jerusalem." And the Lord God of their fathers sent to him, sent to them by mess, by his messengers, rising up betimes and sending because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God and despised his words and misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people. Now, pay close attention to this next phrase. It's a scary phrase to, to find in the word of God. And it'll give, you, it'll give you 
a lot to, to really think about. So all this happened until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. That's a scary thought. And I hope, I hope you and I will allow that little phrase to regulate the way we live our daily lives. We do not want to be found in a place or in a position to where God's so angry with us, he reaches a point that he says, there's just no remedy. I have to deal with it. That's not a good place to be. So let's try not to get there together. Let's, let's, let's work this out so that we don't end up in that place before our God. Now, it continues, Therefore he brought upon them the king of the Chaldees, who slew their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion upon young man or maiden, old man, or him that stooped for age. He gave them all into his hand, and all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his princes, all these he brought to Babylon, and they burnt the house of God and break down the wall of Jerusalem and burnt all the palaces thereof with fire and destroyed all the goodly vessels thereof. And them that had escaped from the sword carried he away to Babylon, where they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia. That's a rough situation. And this all happened in accord with the prophecy given out by Jeremiah the prophet. He said, I will accomplish 70 years upon my people. I'm, I'm, you have denied my Sabbath. You have refused to live in accord with my word. So I'm going to make it happen. Look at Jeremiah chapter 25, and we'll read what, what Jeremiah had to say regarding this situation. Uh, he had a lot to say, but this is, this is specific to, to the narrative we're piecing together today. Jeremiah 25 verses 8 through 12. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, because ye have not heard my words, that's very important. You want to hear God's words. Not just hear them. He's not saying they didn't enter your ears. They went in and you didn't listen to what was said. You heard the words, but you didn't respond to what you heard. You just pretended like God had nothing to say or that he's okay with everything you're doing. That'd be a dangerous thing to do. Because you have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, saith the Lord. And Nebuchadrezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and, and will bring them against this land and against the inhabitants thereof and against all these nations round about and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment and in hissing and perpetual desolations. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth. That's a scary place to be. God, God said, I'm going, if, if there's something that could bring healing to you, if there's something you could say that, that could bring about healing, I'm taking it. That's not a good place to be. And the voice of gladness, and the voice of the bridegroom, and the voice of the bride, and the sound of the millstones, and the light of the candle. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment and these nations, shall, these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years, 70 years. And it shall come to pass when 70 years, now this is, this is very peculiar wording, are accomplished. So God says, I'm laying out 70 years. 
and I'm going to accomplish, I'm going to fulfill, I'm going to follow through 70 years. There won't be any changing of my mind. There won't be starting over. There won't be, there's no purgatory. There's no, there's no second chances. There's no court of appeals. 70 years are determined upon thy people, period. Now, when 70 years are accomplished, that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, saith the Lord, for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans and will make it perpetual desolations. So God's going to use the king of Babylon to punish Judah because Judah has lived in open defiance of God and his word. And then he's going to punish Babylon for punishing Judah. (laughs) So it would just be, it would be a good thing to stay on God's good side and not be found in these situations and be caught up in this type of trouble. Now, during the time of that captivity, Jeremiah told the people, I want you to settle down. I want you to plant gardens. I want you to build houses. I want you to have families. I want you to just get comfortable. You got 70 years. Now, that, you know, that comes with, I'm sure, with a mixed bag of feelings. You know, there's the idea that I just want to go back home. I don't want to be here, but you don't have a choice. This is, this is judgment for, for defiance of God's word. And because of that, you're going to spend that 70 years. And that reality is laid out in Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away. Now, God's very clear. I caused you to be carried away. Now, there was a reason for it. God didn't just arbitrarily decide, you know, I, I'm, I'm feeling... I feel I'm like a jerk today, so I'm just going to send some people away captive. That's, that's not what happened here. What happened is they violated his word. He sent prophets to warn them. They rejected his prophets, mocked his prophets, even killed many of his prophets until finally God was so angry. He said, all right, I'm taking you out of here. I'm done with it. So God carried them away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. Build ye houses and dwell in them and plant gardens, and eat the fruit of them. Take you wives, and beget sons and daughters, and take wives of your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, that ye may be increased there, and not diminished. Now, it's, it was never God's intent to, to demolish or, or, you know, to make extinct Judah or Benjamin. That, 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 was not, that is not the aim. The aim is punishment for, for refusing to obey God. You want to go after other gods? You want to live like the Gentiles live and live in a, in, a, in a pagan, hedonistic, self-centered way? Okay, then I'm going to move you to Babylon. You'll go live with the Gentiles and you'll be, you'll be under their subjection. And so God did that, but he did not want them to diminish. You have to keep in mind, One reason Judah is such a major focus of the Old Testament is because Jesus Christ himself, he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is a descendant of Judah. So God's not going to let anything happen to Judah, but God's also not going to pretend like Judah's sin doesn't mean anything. He's going to deal with the sin of his people, Uh, maybe even more so than the sin of people who are not his. And so you just, you, you want to, you want to, you want to stay focused on the Lord and his word. So 
he, he had them carried away. He did not want them diminished. And he says, and seek the peace of the city, whither I have caused you to be carried away captives and pray unto the Lord for it. For in the place thereof shall you have peace. Now that's an interesting mindset considering, I don't know, 2021 America. <laughs> now I'm in Uganda and Uganda has its own issues, but here are people who have been taken into slavery, real slavery, not not the, the so-called persecution that social justice warriors whine and cry about today in America, on their laptop, on the internet, from an air-conditioned building, you know, sitting at home eating chocolate. These people were taken into captivity. They, they are slaves. They have no choice over where they go and what they do. And God said, get comfortable there. <laughs> I want you to go there and I want you to pray for, I want you to seek the peace of that place not the destruction of that place. Don't go burn down federal buildings and tear things up and harm people. What you need to do if you want to live a peaceful life is settle down, participate, be functioning members of society, be productive members of society, do something that has meaning, do something that will bring about the prosperity and the peace of that country because the prosperity and peace of the country overall it's going to affect your individual prosperity and peace. And if you've decided that you're so important, everyone needs to focus on you. And if they don't focus on you, you're going to tear things apart. Well, you're going to cause the ruin of the prosperity and the peace of that country, which will cause your ruin and, your, and, the, and, the, and the loss of your peace. It's just a difference of mindset. I would, I would stick with the one God brought about. Now, while in captivity, the Bible tells us that some people did obey that commandment. Some people in captivity did exactly what God said. They settled down, they, they had houses, they had gardens, and most importantly, most importantly, they had families. They raised families. And, and one particular person, uh, one notable person, look at it, oddly enough, Matthew chapter 1, and we'll read verses 11 through 12. And Josias begat Jeconias. This is important. Listen to, to what the Bible lays out here and how it pieces together with what we've been reading. And Josias begat Jeconias and his brethren about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon. Now, listen to the sequence. All right. Jeconias. He was, for all intents and purposes, he was in charge. He was carried away captive into Babylon. When he was carried away captive into Babylon, after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconias begat Salathiel, and Salathiel begat Zorobabel. So Salathiel is and, and Zorobabel are also uh, Zorobabel are also known in the Old Testament as Sheltiel and Zerubbabel. Now, according to our passage in Matthew. Jeconias was taken into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar. He was taken into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar. And when he got there, he didn't say all is lost. Everything is ruined. Life is over. I might as well go jump off a cliff or burn down some federal buildings and protest and have riots if I don't get my way. That's, that's not what he did. Uh, instead, he did what God said to do. Now, if they had done what God said to do long before Nebuchadnezzar came, there's good reason to believe God would have, would have turned away his wrath. He, he, in the book of Jeremiah, he said so. 
If you'll repent, if you'll stop this, I'll turn away my wrath. But they rejected that counsel and they rejected that opportunity and they decided to go through with living life the way they wanted to live it and doing what they wanted to do. And so God had to deal with the situation. Now, according to our passage in Matthew, Jeconias was taken into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar. Now we, we want to, we're trying to, we're building the narrative. We're trying to get to Zerubbabel and who he is and how, how he, he came to be significant here. And, and it begins with Jeconias obeying God. Zerubbabel ended up leading these people back to Jer- Jerusalem and rebuilding the temple. He's not alive to do that if Jeconias doesn't do what God said to do and settle down, have a family and, and raise this son who would eventually not only lead Judah back to Jerusalem, but God prophesies about his future intent for use for, for, for Zerubbabel. And we'll, we'll get to that. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Now, oddly enough, let's go to the book of Esther and, and continue piecing this together. Esther chapter two, verses five through six. Now in Shushan, the place, the, uh, the, excuse me, now in Shushan, the palace, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai. Now we talked about him. If you listen to the previous lesson, which was a biographical sketch on Zerubbabel, or excuse me, on Darius the king, we, we kind of uh, pieced together what seemed loosely to be a possible influence on Darius the king was Mordecai. Now, Mordecai was taken into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar at the same time Jeconias was. Now, let, let's, let's continue putting this together. Now, in Shushan the palace, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captivity, which had been carried away with Jeconiah, that's our, that's our king, Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. So Mordecai was taken into Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar, but Babylon was taken by Darius the Median in Daniel 6 or excuse me, Daniel 5, verses 30 through 31. Uh, So Darius took Babylon. Darius' father is Ahasuerus. And you can see that in Daniel 9, verses 1 and 2. It it tells you that Darius, who is at that point in time, the king of the Chaldeans, his father is Ahasuerus. Now, Ahasuerus reigns from Shushan, the palace in Persia. Mordecai came to serve the Persian kings after Darius took Babylon on behalf of Cyrus. Now, we're going to look briefly in a moment at how um, um, Israel, the northern kingdom, was taken into captivity by, by the Assyrians. The Assyrian king took them into captivity. Now, what's interesting is that some of the people he took into captivity from Israel some of them may have included Judah. It's Second uh, Samuel, I believe it's Second Samuel 17, specifically says he left behind certain of the tribe of Judah in Samaria, where, where Israel primarily was located, that northern kingdom, what was its, its kind of uh, its major seat of government was Samaria, kind of like Jerusalem was for, for Judah. And so he took them into captivity, but some of the people he took into captivity, that king, the, the king of Assyria, he sent some of them to the cities of the Medes, of the Medians. Darius 
and Ahasuerus both are Median. They're, they're from the Medes, and, and which eventually became part of the, the, uh, the, the empire of the Persians, and it became the Medes and the Persians. And then eventually the Medes and the Persians even consumed Assyria. So it, it's possible at some point Persia came to be in charge or, or to ha- be in possession of Judah, the southern kingdom, and what was left of Israel, the northern kingdom. They were dispersed throughout the Assyrian kingdom, the Babylonian kingdom, and then eventually the Persian kingdom. Mordecai is representative of that. Now, Mordecai specifically was taken by Nebuchadnezzar. At the same time, Jeconias was taken by Nebuchadnezzar. So they're in captivity. Jeconias or Jeconiah had a son. His son was Sheltiel, and Sheltiel had a son, Zerubbabel. All this is is tied together with Matthew chapter 1. Now, their captivity remained until the king of Persia. That would be Cyrus. Cyrus, who was king over Darius and Ahasuerus. When Darius took Babylon, they assumed control of Judah. Cyrus came to be in charge. The king of Persia came to be in charge of Judah at that point in time. That brings us back to 2 Chronicles 36, verses 21 and 23. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbath. God said, okay, I'm, I'm warning you. Respect the Sabbath. Honor the Sabbath. Now, that's, that's a command to Jews, to Israel. That's part of the law of Moses, which was delivered to Israel, not to the New Testament church. God's not going to come and... <laughs> Send your, your country into captivity if you don't obey the Sabbath. You're, you're not a Jew. That, that, that has nothing to do with you. It was specific to Israel and to Judah. So, until the land enjoyed her Sabbath, for as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath. <laughs> it's odd. It's interesting. You, you take man out of the equation and things work just fine. <laughs> Add man back into the equation and you got trouble again. That's a, it's a curious thing. Man is but few days and full of trouble. So as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill three score and 10 years. That's 70 years. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, thus saith, thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth hath the Lord God of heaven given me. And he hath charged me to build him in house in Jerusalem, which is at Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? The Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. So Cyrus is sending them back to Judah. Now, this is, here's an important um Note something that we we've got to tie in here with with the eventual leadership of Zerubbabel. By the time we reach the end of Second Chronicles, Judah and Israel are no longer thought of as independent nations, kingdoms, however however you want to put it. From this time forward, the Gentiles will reign until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So at this point, when Nebuchadnezzar takes Judah. Israel, the northern kingdom, has already been taken captive by Assyria. We, we mentioned that. We'll look at that in just a second. Now, the southern kingdom, Judah and Benjamin, 
are they are now also being taken into captivity. Now there is there there is no independent nation left known as the nation of Israel. It was a divided kingdom, and now the people who who uh, uh, populated that divided kingdom, those divided kingdoms, are now taken into captivity. Now the Gentiles rule and reign. That's very important. Now, this proclamation made by Cyrus further indicates that fact. Judah will be permitted to return, but only by the permission of the Gentile Persian king. So Judah's going to go back with Cyrus's permission. Judah's going to rebuild until Artaxerxes says stop. Judah's going to rebuild again, and Darius gives permission. So from, from that time until the coming of Jesus Christ, and again, we're going to try to look at this quickly in a moment, it, it kind of helps add some context to Judah being, excuse me, Zerubbabel being the governor of Judah rather than the king of Israel or the king of the southern kingdom of Judah. That, that's very important. Judah will be permitted to rebuild the temple, but the funds to do so will come from the Gentile Persian king. They're not an independent nation capable of ruling and reigning themselves at this point, not anymore. And it's going to remain that way until Jesus Christ returns and establishes his kingdom where Israel will rule and reign and the church will rule and reign and, and Israel will be head over all the nations. Until that time, they'll, they will abide many days without a king. They, they have, it's not even an option. They, they, don't get to, they don't get to make decisions for themselves. Now, with this in mind, it's time to send Judah back to Jerusalem, but someone has to be in charge of the journey and then govern the people upon arrival. That brings us to Ezra chapter 1, verses 7 through 8. Also Cyrus the king brought forth the vessels of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had brought forth out of Jerusalem and had put them in the house of his gods, even those did Cyrus, king of Persia, bring forth by the hand of Mithradath, Mithradath, the treasurer, and numbered them unto Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. Now, who is Sheshbazar? Who, how, where did he come in here? How does, how does he fit into all this? Sheshbazar is made governor of Judah. And we want to determine who this, who this person is. Now, eventually what I'm going to show you is that Sheshbazar and Zerubbabel are the same person. And we're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to prove that in just a moment. But first, I want you to see, I want to give you some, some characteristics of who this person is so that we can then tie them together with Zerubbabel and see that they are one for one the same person. Ezra chapter 5, verse 13 through 16 But in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Babylon, the same king Cyrus made a decree to build the house of God and the vessels also of gold and silver of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple that was in Jerusalem and brought them into the temple of Babylon. Those did Cyrus the king take out of the temple of Babylon and they were delivered unto one whose name was Sheshbazar, whom, whom he had made governor. That's very important. Who made him governor? Cyrus did. Who's in control of Judah? Cyrus is. Who's given them permission to go back? Cyrus. Who's going to fund it? Cyrus. Who's going to establish who gets to be in charge when they get there? Cyrus. 
Cyrus, king of Judah, the Gentiles are ruling and reigning. But it continues, and said unto him, take these vessels, go, carry them into the temple that is in Jerusalem and let the house of God be builded in his place. Then came the same Sheshbazar and laid the foundation of the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. And since that time, even, even until now, hath it been in building and yet it is not finished. Now it did get finished and we're gonna get to that as well. But the passage teaches us four facts about Sheshbazar. Number one, Cyrus appointed him governor of Judah. He is the governor of Judah, and he became governor of Judah because Cyrus made him governor of Judah. Number two, the vessels of God were returned to him specifically. All right? Number three, he was instructed to lead Judah along with the vessels of God back to Jerusalem. He's the one that led them. They, they went from uh, Babylon or Persia, wherever Cyrus had them at the time, wherever they ended up after Cyrus became king. They, they made their journey from that place back to, back to Judah, back to Jerusalem. And number four, he is credited with laying the foundation of the temple. Now it says these things specifically about this person. Now, th these facts about Sheshbazar will be used to prove that he and Zerubbabel are the same person. Number one, Haggai 1.1. 1, 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah. So by the time we get to Haggai 1.1, 1, 1, who is governor of Judah? Zerubbabel. But Cyrus appointed Sheshbazar as governor of Judah. They're the same person. So Zerubbabel is noted as governor of Judah, number two, Ezra 5, verses 13 through 16. But in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, the same king Cyrus made a decree to build this house of God and the vessels also of gold and silver of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple that was in Jerusalem and brought them into the temple of Babylon. Those did Cyrus, king, the king, take out of the temple of Babylon and they were delivered unto one whose name was Sheshbazar. Now, there is not a verse that says directly that Zerubbabel is the person who received the vessels, the vessels of the house of God from Cyrus. But we, what we want to note here in reading this passage again, they were given to Sheshbazar, and Sheshbazar, whom he had made governor, is number one, the governor, and said unto him, take these vessels, go carry them into the temple that is in Jerusalem, and let the house of God be built in his place. Number two, He's the person that escorted it all back to uh, Jerusalem. So was Zerubbabel. Then came the same Sheshbazar and laid the foundation of the house of God. So the same Sheshbazar that received the vessels, who was appointed governor and who led the people back to Jerusalem is the one who laid the foundation of the house of God. And that's our, our final point. Um, two more points. Number three. It'll all kind of tie together. Now, these are, uh, this is in Nehemiah, Nehemiah 12, verse 1. Now, these are the priests and the Levites that went up with Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and Jeshua, Sariah, Jeremiah, Ezra. Uh, Ezra chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. Now, these are the children of the province that went up out of the captivity of those which had been carried away, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away unto Babylon. And came again unto Jerusalem and Judah, 
everyone unto his city, which came with Zerubbabel. So Sheshbazar was instructed to lead the people back. Zerubbabel is the one that's correct, that's credited uh, later on with having been the one to do that. So uh, finally, number four, Zechariah 4, verses 8 through 9. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. So Zerubbabel, uh, you, you have in, in uh, you know, Ezra 5, I believe it was, where, let me make sure, Ezra 5, where it says that Sheshbazar is the one who laid the foundation of the house of God. And then when you get to Zechariah 4, Zerubbabel is the one who laid the foundation of the house of God. So in Ezra 5, the Bible tells us that Sheshbazar was the person responsible for laying the foundation of the temple. Then in Zechariah 4, we learned that Zerubbabel laid the foundation of the temple. So it, it, they, they all point to him being the same person. This is generally not contentious or anything. I just want, you know, oftentimes assertions are made when someone's teaching the Bible, but I want to show you. I want to show you and I want you to be able to see it and understand it and, and, and grasp it for yourself. Um, that, that's extremely important. And, and all of that is, is very much noteworthy. So Zerubbabel, Sheshbazar, and Zerubbabel. So Zerubbabel, Sheshbazar, and Zerubbabel, all three are all the same person. The, the differences in the names are easily accounted for. Uh, this is a game that that lost people, atheists, people who hate God like to play. They like to say, see, that's a that's a contradiction. It's not a contradiction. It's it's actually very clear. If if you were looking for an answer from the word of God rather than looking for a contradiction in the word of God, it's just a desire. It's a, it's a, it's a matter of what your heart is seeking out. Um, it it's not hard. <laughs> You just got to study to show yourself approved unto God. Now, if your intent is to tear down God, then you're just going to remain ignorant. And, and, and you should remain ignorant. <laughs> it helps us. When, when you display that, that level of ignorance, you help us, you know, uh, mock you. <laughs> and you deserve it. And so I understand that doesn't sound too nice. And, and, you know, you're supposed to be overly nice all the time, even to people who hate you. But that's not the case. That's not true. Um, God himself mocks people who, who reject him. The Bible says God hates people who reject him. And so I'm not going to hate you, but I am going to mock your stupidity. And when, I, when I'm gone behind my back, you can mock mine. Because if you do it to my face, I'm going to respond. And most of them know that. So, so the, 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 you know, mo- between the two between two of the names, Sheshbazar and Zerubbabel, they're most likely given him respectively by the Babylonian and Persian kings. If you remember when Daniel and the three Hebrew boys were taken captive by Persia, when they, when they went into uh, the kingdom there, when, you know, when, it, when, when they were taken by Nebuchadnezzar and then taken again later by Persia, especially most notably, the one that we remember the most is when they were taken by Nebuchadnezzar, they were immediately given new names. Uh, most people don't even remember their their actual Hebrew names. And so, so as soon as they were taken captive, they were given new names. Very likely Zerubbabel was given multiple names as he went from Babylon to, to uh, Persia and then came back to Judah. So that's, that's not very difficult. And, and then the third name, um, 
Zorro Babel, that spelling or that pronunciation of the name is just it's just going to be a derivative of the fact that it was it was used or or spoken or said differently in the Greek language and then translated into English. Now, we don't care what it says in the Greek. We have a King James Bible. It's the perfect word of God. There'd be no reason for us to reference the Greek or the Hebrew, but we do know and understand it came that our, our New Testament came primarily from Greek. So, so it, it's, it's, it's all sensible. It makes, it, it's the same person. It's not a problem uh, unless you want a problem. If you want a problem, then you can allow something so petty to keep you from, from knowing the, the God of all comfort, <laughs> the King of heaven and earth, the judge of all the earth, the savior who shed his blood for you. You would let the pronunciation of a name keep you from having your sins forgiven and knowing Jesus Christ. I, I, I wouldn't be so petty. Now, Cyrus appoints Zerubbabel governor of Judah. While Judah is being sent back to Jerusalem, all that takes place from this time forward and the life of the nation of Israel is accomplished under the control of Gentile kings. Now, we've said it. I don't want to overly belabor it, but in 2 Kings 17, the king of Syria took Israel, the northern kingdom. Um, when he did this, it, you know, it, it, it notes, um, when he did this, he, he, not only did he take them out of uh, Samaria, but as the Assyrian king, he sent his delegates into Samaria and they began to live there. And, and we also mentioned in the, in the last broadcast or two, I, I, I think maybe it was two, two back about the start of the people who became known as the Samaritans. Well, th- this also adds into that. The fact that the, the Assyrian king took Israel out of Samaria, sent his own people into Samaria, but it specifically notes that he left behind certain of the tribe of Judah. And there may have been others that, that didn't get taken into captivity. They began to intermingle. Eventually, Esar Haddon came in, and, and the king of Asser came in, and uh, Asnapper, the king of Asser, eventually came in. And so you had this intermingling between the Gentiles and the Jews, and it created a race of people who, who, primary, who previously in Samaria, it was the Jews. Now we know the Samaritans as this half-breed of people who were half-Gentile, half-Jew, and they had, they had taken on uh, the life or the, the uh, culture to some extent of Israel. As a matter of fact, God told the Assyrian king, send my priest, send certain of my priests back to Samaria to teach your people how to live godly. If you're going to live in my land, you need to live, you're going to live in the promised land, you need to live godly. And they were living this in an ungodly fashion. Again, all this is laid out in 2 Kings 17. And so God sent lions in to attack the people because they were living in an ungodly manner. And God said, I'm not, I'm not going to have that. So I want you to send your people, I want you to send my priests back to your people in Samaria and teach them how to live godly in my land, which is very interesting. God didn't say, get out. He said, if you're going to live here, you're going to do what I say. Otherwise, leave. And by the time Jesus Christ meets that woman at the well in John chapter 4, she's telling Jesus how we worship in accord with Jacob. <laughs> you know, we, we, we worship the way you worship. It's the same thing the adversaries of Judah said. You know, we, we want to join you in building this house of God. We, we worship the same God as you. Well, where'd they get that? God made these priests go back and teach them how to live, you know, in accord with Jewish tradition, Jewish law, the law of Moses, and, and um you know, who knows to what extent they actually did that. 
Um, they, they at least thought they should have some part in rebuilding the temple. And that woman at the well told Jesus, you know, she said, you know, we, we worship here as well. You know, we're, we're just as involved in this as, as, as you are. And Jesus said, you don't know what you worship. <laughs> you don't have a clue what you're doing. So that's, that's how that went. That's where we are. And, and then in Daniel 2, uh, it's seen more clearly in that King Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, now the idea I'm talking about that's seen more clearly is the fact that the Gentiles rule and reign. Israel is taken, then Judah is taken, both kingdoms that compose the nation of Israel as a whole, they're now taken out of the land. And from that time forward, the Gentiles rule and reign. They rule the, the entire earth, even today. That, that little nation in the Middle East that we call Israel, it was established by the United Nations, Gentile powers. It was formulated by England, Gentile. They can't, they can't take Jerusalem back. They can't take uh, Palestine from, from the terrorist organizations that dominate it, not without permission from the Gentiles. Even if they defend themselves, the Gentile powers to, in charge get upset with them. So that's where we are. Now in Daniel 2, it's really made clear. And I think this, this, this proves the fact that Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Okay, Nebuchadnezzar has been made king of all the earth. By his own testimony, he said God made him king of all the earth. And so Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And in this dream, he sees this statue. You all know the dream, the head of gold and the body of silver and the brass and the, and the iron and the clay and, and, and all of that. And so he, he has this dream about this, this ki- these kingdoms. And throughout the course of the dream, it basically lays out the rest of human history, essentially what's going to happen to some extent um, in, 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 in broad terms what's going to happen. And what's going to happen is that power is going to pass from Gentile power to Gentile power until that stone comes and and destroys Gentile dominion. And that stone, that stone of stumbling, that's Jesus Christ. So the Lord will come back and he'll, he'll deal with all this and establish his everlasting kingdom. Now, this being true, when Judah was sent back to Jerusalem, the governor is appointed. Cyrus appoints that governor, and that governor is, is Zerubbabel. So in, in Ezra 5.14, he tells us that Sheshbazar, whom he had made governor, Cyrus, Cyrus appointed Zerubbabel as governor of Judah, and then a brief look through the Old Testament at the word governor, just that word, will reveal that its typical use refers to Gentile powers. They it was primarily Gentiles that used that word. Now, not exclusively, but almost almost every time, oftentimes, more often than not, it's a, a region that was conquered by a Gentile power, and then that Gentile power established a governor, just like we have here in Cyrus setting up Zerubbabel. Now, again, it's not exclusive. It's not 100% definitive, but it's, it's a principle that's there. Now, again, the point here is, is Israel will not be establishing a new king. No more Saul, no more David, no more Solomon, no Hezekiahs, no Josiahs. It's, it's over. <clears throat> no more kings. <clears throat> Excuse me. They are subject to the Gentiles until the Lord himself comes uh, to set this matter straight. Now, this, this would help us understand the Jews' strong desire. 
If, now, if you think about, if you fast forward to the day of Jesus Christ, Jews still have no king. They're under the domination of Rome. And then Jesus Christ comes along, who they believe to be the Messiah. Man, they wanted him so badly to be the king. He can feed thousands with nothing. <laughs> he can heal the sick, raise the dead. Man, we got to make this guy king. We could prosper in ways we could not imagine if we made him king. Well, in Deuteronomy 28, God promised them those very things if they just obeyed God and did what God said. And he also promised them what would happen if they disobeyed God and rejected God. And what would happen is they would have no peace. They'd be dominated by other, other Gentile powers. They'd be disease-ridden. They, they, would, they would starve. Their land would turn to dust. Everything they're trying to prevent in, in making Jesus, at one point it says they took him and tried to make Jesus their king. But God promised them, if you would obey my word and keep me first, that none of these, that you would be bothered by none of these things. And so they're trying to put the cart before the horse. And, and of course it doesn't work out. Now, their first task upon arrival in Jerusalem was to account for God's people. That's incredible. The first thing God wanted Zerubbabel to do, Ezra chapter two, verses one through two. Now, these are the children of the province that went up out of the captivity of, the, of those which had been carried away from whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away into, unto Babylon and came again unto, unto Jerusalem and Judah, everyone unto his city, which came with Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, Seriah, Realiah, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mispar, Bigvi, Reham, Bena, the number of the men of the people of Israel. They began in chapter two. You go through the entire chapter. Who are you? Who is your family? Who are you? Who is your family? They just began identifying who was there and, and making clear who it was so that they could, they could account for the, for, the, for the people of God. And that should encourage you. If you belong to God, he's going to make sure you're there. If you belong to God, he's going to account for your existence, your presence. He will not forget. He will not leave you behind. That is incredible. That is unheard of to have such a God who, who is willing to, to pay such close attention to his people. Now, the next task to accomplish, the altar of God. We've got the people accounted for. Of them, we've got the priest accounted for. We need an altar. We need an altar so we can worship God. Look at Ezra chapter three, verses one through five. And when the seventh, seventh month came, excuse me, and when the seventh month was come and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered themselves together as one man to Jerusalem. Then stood up Jeshua, the son of Josedek, and his brethren, the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and his brethren, and builded the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings thereon, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. And they set the altar upon his bases for fear was upon them because of the people of those countries. And they offered burnt offerings thereon unto the Lord, even burnt offerings morning and evening. They kept also the feast of tabernacles as it is written and offered the daily burnt offerings by number, according to the custom as the duty of every day required. And afterward offered the continual burnt offering both of the new moons and of all the set feasts and of the and and uh, of the Lord 
that were consecrated and of everyone that willingly offered free will off- offering unto the Lord. So the next logical step after God's people are accounted for, <laughs> we need somewhere to worship. Now, today, as the church, we're not Israel. Israel and the church are not the same thing. They are completely different. There's a there, It is proper for you to divide there. Now, Gentiles and Jews can both become part of the church of God. But the church of God cannot go back to being Gentiles or Jews. There is no reverse order. You're, you're in one or the other. In the days of the Jews, worshiping in accord to the, with the law of Moses, they had to have an altar. They needed that altar. And the people are accounted for. They are assembled. Let's build this altar and begin worshiping our God. And that's exactly what they did. Um, it's interesting that, that they feared the people of the countries around them. Now, we noted a second ago, Deuteronomy 28. I, I wonder if that was in their mind. If that, that was the mindset, we're in trouble. We have people around us. We can't take up arms and fight them. We were sent here to rebuild this temple. We need an altar. We need to worship God. And maybe God will keep the promise he made in Deuteronomy 28 if we get this, if we get this altar up and running and, and begin bringing sacrifices before him day and night in a way that would lift up a sweet-smelling savor under the Lord. So, um, it doesn't say that, but they immediately began to, to worship in accord with the law of Moses. We're going to see something else as they go through this process, and we've mentioned it in the other broadcasts. They looked back to the law of Moses. They didn't put idiotic signs on their church buildings or on the temple or on the synagogue saying, we're not your grandmother's church. No, they wanted to be their grandmother's church. They wanted to worship in accord with the way it was written back in the day. They were not looking for some new thing or to try and do things a different way than, than other than what God said to do. They, they understood that they need to worship in accord with the law of Moses. And then we're going to see in a moment, they began to sing and they did so in accord with David, the king of Israel. They looked back to the way things were being done previously, traditionally, and scripturally. They did not look forward into the world's purview and try and see what, well, what makes the world happy? Let's, let's exchange the way God used to do it with the way that the world does it and see if we can kind of intermingle here and create our own form of the Samaritans, this intermingling between God's people and the world. <laughs> no, that's, that's not going to work. So I would, I, would, I would humbly discourage you from doing that. Now, Immediately after the altar was established, um, with proper worship, with the proper worship of God, of the God of heaven and earth, they appointed the Levites to their place in the house of God. That's in Ezra 3, verses 8 through 9. Now, in the second year of their coming under the house of God at Jerusalem, the second month began Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josedek, and the remnant of their brethren, the priests, and the Levites, and all they that, that were come out of the captivity into Jerusalem and appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to set forward the work of the house of the Lord. Then stood Jeshua with his sons and his brethren, Cadmiel and his sons and uh, the sons of Judah together in, uh, uh, to set forward the workmen in the house of God, uh, the sons of Hinnadad with their sons and their brethren, the Levites. Now Judah, under the leadership of Zerubbabel and Joshua, 
are systematically restoring the Jewish way of life as required by the word of God. They're just going to keep setting this thing up and they're going to keep moving in a direction in accord with the word of God that they believe would cause God to be pleased and, and then, and then reap the promises of God in accord with doing what God said to do. And, and there's a lot of, a lot of merit to that, a lot of benefit to that. Um, now, once the Levites are in their place, now the workmen can begin building the foundation. We've got the people there. We've got the altar built. We're worshiping God as best we can from that altar. Uh, uh, we set the priests in their place. Now let's build this house. Let's get it going. And that's in Ezra 3, verse 10. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priests in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph with symbols to praise the Lord after the ordinance of the king of Israel. So the foundation is complete. It's cause for celebration. And they didn't have a piece of party. They didn't, they didn't bring in dancing girls and lights. They said, what did David do? How did David do it? What is the ordinance set forth by David? Let's, let's look back to the way that they used to worship God at a time when God was pleased with the worship of God. And let's do that. I don't, I don't understand where that disconnect is today. I don't understand how we went from, let's see what God said so that we can do that so that it will please him. Instead, we say, let's see what the world wants so that we can do that so that we can please them, but maybe trick them into coming into the church and being part of us. Uh, it just, it's a ridiculous idea. And so I, I, I do hope our churches will abandon it. I think it has facilitated this cowardly mentality and stance and an utter uselessness in many cases of our churches today. And so I, I do pray that that will, that will go away. Um, we need to look back and see what God said to do and establish that, not exchange you know, some modern form of worship whose foundation is based neither in Christian tr tradition nor biblical principle. That's that's not going to get us anywhere. I understand, you know, tradition is, tradition is not a bad thing. It's only a bad thing when it contradicts the word of God. Jesus rebuked the Jews, not because they had tradition, but because their tradition replaced the word of God. That, we're not asking you to do that. We're asking you to look back and see what, what God-fearing people have always done and then do that so that we can together please God and, and replicate a good godly standard of living. Not look at the world and see how much of that you can take on without crossing the line too far into some arbitrary, um, arbitrarily defined means of worldliness. Um, that's, that's not going to work. So the laying of the foundation was a notable event. As such, as soon as it was laid, the adversaries of Judah appeared to cause trouble. Now, this is that group that came with Esar Haddon, with a snapper king of, uh, of Asser. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is that intermingling of the Assyrians and, and the Babylonians and, and the Jews that were left behind uh, through the respective um, captivities that took place. So Ezra 4, verses 1 through 3. Now, when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity built the temple under the Lord God of Israel, then they came to Zerubbabel and to the chief of the fathers and said unto them, let us build with you. We seek your God as you do. So there's this mentality. And, and we, we've already talked about 
how it was developed. God had priests go back to Samaria, teach them how to live in accord with the word of God. So it, 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 it looks like it ended up producing this intermingling between uh, this half-breed of Jew and Gentile that where they, they t- took on some of what God said and took on some of what their cultural background was. And, and so they had dancing girls and light shows. And, and it just it's the same thing. Sorry. So they saw, they, they, they purported to seek God the same way that the Jews did, that Judah did. And, and Zerubbabel tells them the right thing. They said, we seek your God as you do, and we do sacrifice unto him since the days of Esau had and king of Asser, which brought us up hither. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the chief of the fathers of Israel said unto them, ye have nothing to do with us to build an house unto our God, but we ourselves together will build unto the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia hath commanded. You want to be a part of this? Convert. We don't, we don't want to know how you, you think you're seeking our God. We don't want to know in what ways you think you belong here with us. And, and, and we don't want to hear your misuse of the word Christian because to the world, that means Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, Roman Catholics. And that means anyone and everyone who, who, who just arbitrarily decides that they want to be called a Christian must fit in here and must belong. And you don't. The Bible defines what, the, what a Christian is. If you're that in accord with the word of God, not, not in accord with the Pope, not in accord with the watchtower, not in accord with the, the Mormon's prophet or the book of Mormon or, or any other, any other false book or false religion. If you're a Christian in accord with the word of God, join us. If you're not, you need to, you need to become one. Otherwise we, we can't have you join in with what we're doing. We can't violate the word of God and break down barriers and, and coexist in this unreasonable way just to, just to facilitate your feelings about God. Your feelings about God need to be changed to fall in line with the word of God. We worship the, the, the God of the Bible. Zerubbabel, Jeshua, they were worshiping the God of the Bible. What they were trying to do was reestablish life in Jerusalem in accord with the law of Moses. So if you come along and you happen to seek God, and so you've got this intermingling of Baal worship and and Easter and Christmas and other forms of pagan worship intermingled with Christianity, we don't want it. You can keep it. We want the truth. And so we can't have you build with us because there is no us. There is we and there is you. <laughs> and what we are trying to do is fall in line with the word of God exclusively. Not, not some you know, compromised admixture of a little bit of the world and a little bit of paganism and a little bit of our cultural background and a little bit of my feelings and, and, and all of that. And, 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 and a little bit of the word of God somewhere in there as well. At least the at least the idea. That's not going to work. And so Zerubbabel said, no, you have nothing to do with us. We're building this house under our God. You don't have anything to do with it. Now, that was not the easy way out. It caused more trouble for them. As a matter of fact, it put him in a situation where he was going to have to live up to those words. And he didn't. 
He failed. And so the adversaries of Judah began to cause problems. They write a series of letters. We've already read about those. If you've listened to the other programs, they, they wrote these letters that went back to the kings of Persia because, again, who's in charge here? The kings of Persia. First letter went to Ahasuerus. Ahasuerus didn't respond. Second letter went to Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes responded with force. Shut the work down. Now, Zerubbabel could have taken the easy way out and said, okay, you know, just come join us and we'll do it together. We'll, we'll join hands in, hand in hands with homosexuals and tra- the transgender movement and, and we'll, we'll deny our white privilege with critical race theory and we'll march in the streets and burn down buildings with Black Lives Matter and, and we'll, we'll join in with Antifa and take on a fascist personality while claiming to be anti-fascist. We'll, we'll just take a, we'll, we'll do it, we'll dabble in a lot of that or all of that just enough to, to cause them to leave us alone and not be mean to us. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Not if you want, not if what you want is the truth. Not if your intent is to trust God and to please God. What you're doing in that case is pleasing yourself and making life easier for yourself. It has nothing to do with God. It's all about you and your unwillingness to stand up and fight. And because of that, your country, America exclusively, uh, it could be brought into the West, and, and there are hints of it even in Uganda. The world is falling apart because Christians compromise, because Christians will not hold firm to the truth of the Word of God. They won't stand firm because they know that when they do so, it's going to cause problems. You're not going to get around that. It'd be best if we all got over the fact it's going to cause problems. It's going to make them not like us. It might even in some countries cause them to throw you in prison or even worse. Then you join Daniel and you join Paul and you join Peter and you join the, the thousands and thousands of Christians throughout the ages who were beaten, burned, uh, crucified, imprisoned, you name it. That's where we are. That's what happened here. They said, no, you're not joining us. So they wrote letters back to to the king. So God sent prophets to deal with them. God did not feel sorry for them. Zerubbabel said, no, you're not joining us. You're not going to help us build this house. The adversaries of Judah said, fine, we'll make you stop. Well, then they couldn't make them stop. So they said, okay, we'll we'll get the government involved. So they send letters back to Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes comes and says, make it stop. And instead of Zerubbabel holding to what he said, we are going to build this house. He backed down. He cowered out. And God didn't feel sorry for them. God didn't say, I know the government was being mean to you. I I understand. So I'll, I'll just overlook what happened. No. God sent prophets to deal with them. Ezra 5, verses 1 through 2, Then the prophets, Haggai the prophet, and Zechariah the son of Iddo, prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, even unto them. Then rose up Zerubbabel the son of Sheltiel, and Joshua the son of Josedek, and began to build the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. And with them were the prophets of God helping them. 
So if a person who claims to belong to God can go for weeks, months, years without stepping foot into the house of God, there's a serious problem. There is the fact that Jesus Christ said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. We know that. We get that. That's, that is, a, that is a, an undisputable fact. Now, a lot of people complain about it. A lot of people say silly things. Oh, I don't think you have to go to church. I don't think you have to do this. I don't think you have to do that. Well, you're wrong. I mean, you're right. You don't have to. <laughs> it's up to you. But in terms of whether it is, it is commanded of us by God, it is absolutely commanded of us by God that we faithfully attend the house of God, the worship of God, church, assembling ourselves together, however you do it. So we're, we're currently in lockdown here in Uganda. We can't, we can't meet in the way that we would like. So we have to be very careful and we have to meet in different ways. But we don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. It's not going to happen. No matter how much the government makes idiotic statements about how you can worship God anywhere and pray to God anywhere, therefore you do not need to go to church. Governments always display their ignorance about God when they try and use God's word to justify their bad policy. And that's exactly what's happened. That's where we are. We are going to worship God. We just... We can't do it in the way and with, with the luxury that we're used to. Having a building is a luxury. Judah, it is required of the Jews to have the temple. They don't have it. It is required of the Jews to have the altar. They don't have it. It's not there. It is not physically possible for them to worship God in accord with the law of Moses. All that is required to accomplish that, that type of worship, none of it exists. It's gone. There's a mosque where the temple is supposed to be. It can't happen. But for the church, the building is a luxury. The altar is a luxury. Bible school is a luxury. We don't have to have those things to worship God. But we are expected to assemble together. And that's where the trouble comes in, and that's where we have to be careful. So you pray for us as we accomplish what God has told us to accomplish without compromise. But like Zerubbabel, and like everyone else in the Bible that remained dedicated to what God said to do, it, it could bring us trouble. So we would appreciate your prayer. Now, Haggai chapter 1, verses 12 through 14 then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and Joshua, the son of Jozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people did fear before the Lord. Then spake Haggai the Lord's messenger and the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you. That's a blessing. Saith the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. God was pleased that they responded the way that they did to the preaching of Haggai and Zechariah. And when they repented of their, their lack of service and began to serve, then God came along and said, I am with you. 
And then God came along and stirred their spirit. And I often like to note that we do things backwards. We say, God, if you would be with me and if you would stir my spirit, then I might go do something. God says, if you'd go do what I said, then I would be with you and then I might stir your spirit. And we, we tend to do those things or maintain those things in reverse. Now, the temple is complete at this point. And God promises to fill this new temple with glory. He makes that promise to Zerubbabel. In Haggai chapter 2, verses 4 through 9, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, and work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I, co- I covenanted with you when ye came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you, fear ye not. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. That's a wonderful thing. The temple is built. You got past the opposition. You got past the persecution. You got past the trouble. You got past the adversaries. You got past yourself. And you did what I said. I'm going to bless it. I am going to bless what you did. And that's what we want. That's what we're looking for. It's going it, it's, to, it's, it's abundantly clear at this point. None of this is going to happen without opposition. It's, there's just going to be opposition. It's just how it is. But we can have the opposition and have God working with us. I mean, if you go back and we're going to look at it, if we ever get to it, um, they began to work and wouldn't be stopped. And as a result, God, God gave them favor. Darius writes his letter and says, you leave them alone, stay out of their way. And uh, the people work and they finish the house of God. And then God makes them an incredible pr- uh, uh, promise. I will fill this latter house, which is inferior to the former temple, but I'm going to fill this temple with glory. I'm going to, I'm going to use it. I'm going to give it more glory than the, than the, the former house and the one that was, that was there before. So praise God. So, but God is not finished with Zerubbabel yet. He sends Haggai to prophesy concerning Zerubbabel's future. And that's in Haggai chapter two, verses 21 and 23. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms, and I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen, and I will overthrow the chariots of those that ride in them, and the horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. And that day, saith the Lord of hosts, Will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Sheltiel, saith the Lord, and I will make thee as a signet, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. God promises some future use for Zerubbabel after his leadership through the rough journey from Babylon back to Jerusalem. Now, his, his time as governor brought about eventual failure. And it was going great. He goes from from uh, Babylon, he leads the people back. They build the altar. They, they account for the people. They build the altar. 
<clears throat> they assemble the priests, they lay the foundation, and then they let the first sign of trouble shut it all down. And But he repented of it. He repented of it. He did what the prophet said, and he finished the work of the house of God. What a blessing. He repented of his failure. God still used him. God didn't say, well, you know, <laughs> you messed up. Get out. I'm done with you. I'm over it. That, that's, not, that's not what God did. God used him. God, God showed favor to him as a result of his, his repentance. And the temple got built. And not, not only did the temple get built, but God made promises regarding that very temple and then made promises about the future of Zerubbabel himself, which when we dive deeper into the book of Haggai, we'll look at that more specifically right now. I just want you to see the narrative of who Zerubbabel is. He's the governor of Judah. He comes from a line of kings, but he is not a king. God will no longer allow a king in Israel. They will abide many days without a king until Jesus Christ comes back and establishes his earthly kingdom. We serve an amazing God who is worthy of our service, even in the face of adversity. Even in the face of adversity, he's still worthy of our service. I hope you'll remain faithful and true to God. I pray this sketch of the life of Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, was a blessing and a help to you and anyone you would pass it along to. If you have questions or just interesting conversation about these topics, please leave a comment wherever you listen to it. If I see that comment, I will engage you. We'll be happy to talk to you. Feel free to send me a private email. Many people do. Uh, I've been getting lots of feedback in various ways. It's a blessing. Uh, I know a lot of this is very technical and we're, we're diving in and looking at a lot of cross-references and verses and piecing things together. I love it. I hope you do too. I hope it encourages you to continue to study the Word of God. I hope it encourages you to dive deeper and to check and to verify and to look and to know, to know what God has done in your life. And so thank you for listening. God bless. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption podcast.